Welcome to the Renaissance Church Podcast. Our mission is to glorify God and to make disciples by bringing the gospel into all of life in all the earth. This is Chris Kipp, lead pastor of Renaissance Church here in Richmond, Texas. And if you've not joined us in a worship gathering or at a house church yet, we would love to have you join us. You can find out more information at rin-church.org. And I pray that you are encouraged and edified by the proclamation of God's word today. I want to begin with reading scripture this morning. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4. I want to dive right in. Uh, We're in a series called Building with Jesus, and this is really a theme that Paul gets into in this passage. And I just want to read it together. It's going to be starting in verse 1 of Ephesians chapter 4. Here's what he says. Therefore, I, the prisoner in the Lord, urge you to live worthy of the calling you have received with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope at your calling, one Lord, one faith one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. Verse 7, now grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. For it says, when he ascended on high, he took the captives captive and he gave gifts to people. But what does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower parts of the earth? The one, who de- the one who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens to fill all things. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, equipping the saints for the work of ministry to build up the body of Christ, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son, growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. Then we will no longer be little children, tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching, by human cunning with cleverness and the techniques of deceit. But speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who is the head, Christ. From him the whole body, fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament, promotes the growth of the body for the building up itself in love by the proper working of each individual part. This is the word of the Lord. Immature and unstable. You might think I'm describing the emotional developmental stage of your child right now. You might think I'm describing maybe even an adult family member somewhere. You might think I'm describing politicians in our age right now. You might think that I'm describing a phase of your life all of our lives, immature and unstable. But that's actually how Paul describes a church 
that has not learned how to build itself up. They've not learned how to build up the body. In this passage, in verse 14, he says this, then we will no longer be, meaning that's what we were and maybe that's what we are, immature and unsafe. We, we will no longer be little children. Now, you, you know that there's a passage in the Bible that says, unless you receive the kingdom of God like this little child, I tell you, you surely will not enter it. And Jesus is calling for a faith that is childlike. It's, it, it's, it believes quickly, right? But what Paul's talking about here is not a positive way of calling little children. In fact, do we have the next slide that you can show us of the, of the kiddo? That, that right there, immature and unstable, okay? He's using it in a sense of a childishness or like a whining, you know, like you can't see the big picture beyond like what they want right at that moment kind of a thing. That's how he's using this word little children, and it means untaught and unskilled. He says that we will no longer be little children tossed by the waves, and that was a figure of speech that was like mentally agitated, okay? And that we would no longer be blown around by every wind of teaching, and that's not a nice, refreshing breeze. The word for wind is like a violent wind, which we know here of hurricane-level winds that they begin to uh, topple trees and down the power lines, and they blow stuff all over the place, and trash from one you know yard blows into the next yard, and it's just an absolute mess. I mean, that's what he's talking about here, the wind of teaching by human cunning, with cleverness in the techniques of deceit. He's talking about false, destructive trickery, worthless teaching, worthless ideas, worthless philosophies. And here's the problem. Worthless ideas produce worthless people, people who have lost their worth. Immature and unstable, a church that's lost its way. It's a body that isn't built up. And if you haven't noticed, church in the United States of America is not exactly winning the day. Amen? Everywhere we look, we see signs of decline. What I want to propose to you is maybe it's not that Jesus isn't working. Does that make sense? Is Jesus not working in America? No, no, Jesus is working. Jesus is always working. The problem isn't Jesus. Maybe there's something missing from the church that's creating a body that is immature and unstable. The answer what Paul is contending for is this, building up the body. Then we will no longer be. And so today, I want to talk about bodybuilding. Bodybuilding. Do we have any bodybuilders in here? It's a trick question because like, well, we're, uh, we're all supposed to be building the body of Christ, right? Do we have anybody who's a weightlifter? They go to the other church, don't they? Okay, that's cool. Whatever. 
I'm not, I'm not the specimen of manliness. They're like, yeah, this isn't our church. We're going to go to the church with the guy with muscles, okay? Right, yeah, I know, I know. It's cool. I'll start lifting weights. Maybe we'll get some more bodybuilders in here. But here's what Paul's talking about. He's talking about building up the body. And just a little bit about this book. This book is to the, the churches, like these little churches, like almost like house churches that we have in our church that are forming around uh, the, the city of Ephesus. This is the Apostle Paul. He's the prisoner of the Lord that we read in the first part. He's imprisoned in Rome, and he's writing to the saints. I mean, this is to all of God's people, all of them. It's a significant book, and what many scholars say is that this book is like constitutional, meaning there are things in this book that are so important for ecclesiology, for understanding the body of Christ, the church of Jesus, and Paul gives this incredible soaring theology of our salvation. He uses words like blessed and chosen, and adopted, and predestined, and redeemed, and made holy, and sealed with the Holy Spirit. I mean, the the first part of this letter is like, wow. And then he, he gives the sweeping purpose of God to bring everything together under Christ, or in Christ, both things in heaven, and things on earth in him, which is kind of like, wow. But all of it begins to hinge and to change into something much more practical at this point in the letter. It's peppered with his prayers, the prayers of Paul. In fact, right before this passage, Paul's praying that they would just be filled with the knowledge of the Father and of the Lord Jesus through the Holy Spirit, right? He's just praying for them. And then he goes in this thing about building up the body, that we may no longer be immature and unstable. And you guys know we've been talking about this. When he talks about the body, he's talking about what? The body of Christ. It's all the people that are gathered under the head who is Christ. And um, here's the thing, is that when we're not building up the body and we're not being built up in the body, the mission suffers and we suffer. You suffer if you're not building up the body and being built up in the body. That's, that's what Paul is saying here. And I just have a question. Do you enjoy being immature and unstable? Yeah? Does your family enjoy it when you're immature and unstable? If you're sitting next to someone immature and unstable, blink twice. I'm just kidding. Don't do that. That was very immature of me. I'm sorry. (laughs) Do your friends enjoy? Do you have any friends? (laughs) At your funeral, no one will celebrate the fact that you were immature and unstable. If you have a funeral. And please don't call me to do that funeral. If you're immature and unstable. I don't like to lie. You know what I'm saying? The antidote, Paul says, is building up the body. And God's desire for us, he wants to have a faith like a child, but he wants us to grow up in our faith. Amen. So I just want to just draw our attention to the the things that Paul says. The first one is this. The body of Christ is built up by a Christ-shaped culture. 
It's a Christ-shaped culture. He tells them this, walk worthy of the calling that you've received. All those words, chosen, blessed, sealed by the Holy Spirit, adopted, predestined, wow, all that. Walk worthy of the calling you've received. And the calling is this, it's a divine invitation. Did you know that that coming to know Jesus is not just about getting everything ready for heaven after this life, but it's actually something that God is beginning to do in you right now. Eternal life begins the moment you give your heart to Christ in faith. Boom. You're born again. You're regenerated. New life. And God wants to do something in us now. We walk worthy of the calling that we have received. How do we do it? He tells us, with all humility and gentleness. That's to have a, a humble opinion of yourself. It's not about self-loathing and self-condemnation. And I'm such a worm and I'm such a whatever. No, no. That's actually prideful because you're focusing in so much on yourself. It's actually about getting over yourself and being honest about yourself. It's a humble opinion of yourself. He, he uses the word gentleness, which is like the word meekness. It's gracious. And it's Christ-shaped because Jesus said things like this, take my yoke upon you and learn from me because I am lowly and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. Jesus was all humility and gentleness. He goes on with patience, bearing with one another in love. That's not a pushy kind of a thing but it's an enduring, suffering with, bearing with in love. He goes on, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. And that's, that's to endeavor. It's to exert yourself toward keeping the unity. And then he just kind of riffs on that for a minute. Because we, we have all this oneness, one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. And that's Christ-shaped because Jesus prayed things like this. May they all be one as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. Jesus modeled oneness. And here's the thing, if you're a believer, and I'm a believer, and the Spirit of God is in you, and the Spirit of God, the Spirit of God is in me, but we're like this all the time, that ain't the Spirit of God, amen? God is not at war with God. The Holy Spirit in me is not at war with the Holy Spirit in you. Something else has gotten into the equation, right? So he calls us to a oneness, to get rid of the foreign contaminants, and to walk worthy of the calling. And here's the cool thing. When the character of the head, Christ, flows through the body of Christ, the body is built. It's beautiful. The body's built. I, I use the word culture because it, it means this, what's normal here? And the things that he's calling us to in this passage should not be the exception, they should be the rule, the norm, humble, gentle, 
patient, bearing with one another in love, unified in Christ. Um, we are raising three boys. We have three boys. Um, they're over here. They have the pleasure of all now graduated out of kids' ministry, and they sit during my sermons. And I'm sure they just love it when I talk about them. During, Don't you guys love it over there? No, no. Don't lie in church. But sometimes, parents, I know this does not happen in your house, but in my house, sometimes we have to correct one of them. And they might say this, but did you see what he did to me? Right? And here's what we tell them. You are responsible for you. Right? That's what we tell them. You are responsible for you. You can't wait for them to do it. You have to do it. But here's what the Lord's calling us to is that we can't wait for everyone around us to do it. We have to do it. That's, that's, our, that's our obedience, to walk worthy of the calling that we've received. The body is built with a Christ-shaped culture. The second thing that Paul's contending for is this. The body is built by Christ-shaped gifts. He says this. Now, grace was given to each one of us. That can also be translated, every one of us. That means if you have a pulse right now, if you can hear me, if Jesus is in your life, I would actually contend that even before Jesus is in your life, that God has given you grace. Grace. And he goes on to quote from Psalm 68 that he gave gifts people, grace, gifts to every single one of you, which means this, you've already got it. You've already got it. You have grace, gifts. He goes on to explain that Christ, uh, he descended to the earth, right? He's born of a virgin, walked among us, lived here. We, we, we know his teachings, his life, his ministry. We have them recorded for us in the gospels. He dies on a Roman cross. He's crucified for our sins. He's raised three days later, miraculously. He appears to, you know, hundreds of people. He walks with them for 40 days. He then ascends to the Father, and he tells them to go and wait, because you're going to get power. Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. And he says that he ascends to, to uh, far above the heavens to fill all things. And then he gives these five gifts, and we often call these the ascension gifts, which means when he went up, the gifts came down. When Christ ascended, his gifts were distributed to his people. It's also called the fivefold ministry. And he gives us this list. It's the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And I, I, I want to dive into these and, and maybe help you understand those. But before we do that, I just want you to understand what is the purpose of these gifts? What does Paul say? Like, why do these exist? Is it so that you could get a business card and put Chris Kipp, apostle? Right. No. He's talking about a function. And he says, here's the function, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. That word, to equip, it has kind of two meanings. Two meanings. In the negative, it would be like a net that's broken, and it needs to be mended. There's something lacking, okay? 
In the positive, it means to furnish something that is needed. So to fix something that's broken, to furnish something that's needed. And the gifts are given to us to do that for people, to equip them, to fix some things that might be broken, and to add some things that they need. And it's for the purpose of the work of ministry, and it includes all the saints, which is you. You don't have to be, have two verified miracles and live a life of poverty and holiness, right? Anyone born again in faith is a saint, which means this, you're on team Jesus. Did you know that? You're going to go watch the Super Bowl today, probably, and you're going to be rooting for your team, but here's the deal. You're on team Jesus, and he wants you in the game. He says that when the gifts are equipping and the saints are working, what happens is it builds up the body of Christ. And when the body of Christ is being built up, he says that we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son. Meaning, we, we, we come together in oneness and we start to see Jesus even more magnified. We, we understand him more. There's a knowledge of God's Son growing into maturity with a stature measured. That word, that Greek word is metron, like metric. It's, it's the measure of Christ's fullness. I don't even know what that means. It's like, what is the measure of Christ's fullness? Has anybody ever seen the, the measure of Christ's fullness? But what I think it means is this, is that when everybody is playing their part, serving in the way that God has created them with their God-given gifts, all of a sudden the church looks more and more and more like Jesus. And the Jesus that turned the world upside down 2,000 years ago is still turning the world upside down now. But the problem is not that Jesus is lacking anything, it's that the church has limited Jesus. Do you understand what I'm saying? Jesus is just fine. But he needs a church that's committed to, not, to no longer being immature and unstable. So there's this beautiful, logical progression. That's what I love about Paul. It's just like, pow, 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 pow. Beautiful. But I want to talk about the five gifts for a minute because there's a couple ways that people hear this. One would say, well, don't get too caught up on the gifts. Don't let that be a straight jacket. You're like, oh, uh, I'm not a that or I'm not a this or whatever, right? There's only five. What, what if I'm not one of the five? Okay, here's what I would say. He lists five for a reason. He doesn't just give a generic word like, oh, and God gave gifts, amen, praise God, moving on, build up the body. No, he lists five for a reason. But there's a difference between offices and gift orientations. And I don't wanna talk about offices, like who gets the title I want to talk about where is your personality tilting? What's your orientation as a follower of 
Jesus. You know, we have the capital A apostle of the scripture that was an eyewitness of Jesus that wrote scripture level words that are recorded and canonized in our Bibles. They have a binding testimony and instruction upon us. They are capital A apostles, and we're not going to go become an apostle and write a new Bible. Amen? Ain't happening. Or we have capital P prophets of the Old Testament and of the New Testament. And these people, they, they, are, they have scripture level things that we can read and we can see and we can know. That's a capital P prophet. They have, it's here. And we're not going to take away from it and we're not going to add to it. Amen? We have the office of pastor. It's like the only office given to the church in which was an elder, a shepherd, a pastor that was biblically mandated in the church to give oversight to the body. That's an office that's given to the church. So I'm not talking about all the titles and stuff. I want to talk about your tilt because you already have this in you. So have you guys ever gotten, uh, gone through a personality test before? Yeah? Strength Finder, Myers-Briggs, uh, Jason led us through what's called the five voices, which is actually super cool because it's taking this stuff and applying it to like business world. It's beautiful. How many of you know your Enneagram number? A few of you? A few of you? Yeah? Yeah? Some of you are like, I'm not going to raise my hand right now because I'm a number or whatever and they, they don't like to have attention, right? This is the original personality test, okay? This is the Christogram, all right? I, I want to talk about these five gifts that he lists. First one is this, the apostle, and that's the sent one. That's what the word actually means, someone who is sent like this. It, it's, it's missional. It's pioneering. It's always listed first in all the lists. And this is a person that seeks to extend Christianity as a healthy, reproducing movement. They're, they're often big picture people. They see the bigger picture. They think about systems and processes and how do we make sure that the people are getting it and that they can make other leaders and multiply and all those kinds of things. Like that's, that's very apostolic. It's also a custodial ministry. If you think about the life of the Apostle Paul, who was so concerned that in some way the gospel was getting tainted. He wanted to make sure that the core idea was protected. That's an apostolic function. It's, it's, it's protective of the core DNA and the gospel of Jesus. And I, I made some, just a list of some of the characteristics so maybe you could begin to see yourself. So here's the apostle. They, they feel sent by God for a particular purpose. They naturally seek big picture ideas and visions. Some of you are visionaries. You have big picture ideas and you have no idea how it's gonna happen. I'm like that. It's like, oh, I have a dream for that. It's gonna be amazing tends to be more entrepreneurial. You, you'll start things. Adventurous and less risk averse. If you're always doing new stuff and your family's like, oh my gosh, you're, you have a new hobby again, a new thing, right? You might actually have an apostolic tilt in your life. You enjoy change, pioneering and starting new things. You're innovative. And this is the person that really extends the kingdom. They want to get the kingdom of God out into new places. It's apostolic. The second gift he lists is 
the prophet. Now, I, I just want to make this clear that there is a prophetic gift in which someone has a spontaneous knowing of something for another person that reveals the heart of God to that person. That's a prophetic gifting. But what I'm talking about here is really kind of a, an orientation. And you might not actually have that spontaneous knowing of things and still be tilted in a prophetic way. Here's what I mean. When you look at the Old Testament prophets, what was their key message? Do you, do you guys know? It, it's, it's echoed in the last Old Testament prophet, which was John the Baptist. What was his message? Repent. The kingdom of God is here. Get right with God. You brood of snakes. I mean, that's crazy that that worked in that time period. He could just yell at people and they're like, yes, Jesus, right? That's a prophet. They're very, very concerned about covenant faithfulness and moral purity. They're also people who are very concerned with God's presence. They want to hear from God. They, they want to be like Jesus when he said, like, I, I'm speaking what the Father speaks, and I do what the Father does. Like, they're people that want to be so in tune with God and what he's doing right now. They're prophetic, and here's some characteristics. They deeply desire to encounter God. They, they desire to speak and to act on God's behalf. They call people to faithfulness and obedience. They can function as heart revealers in the church. They often excel in worship and the arts because they're people who, it's like they can sniff out the presence of God and they just go. They can be agitators for change. Does your family call you an agitator? asking pointed questions. And the, the question is that they're driving at is like, here's what God says, and here's what we're doing, and like, what's the deal? Right? They, they, they're calling people to faithfulness. They tend towards social justice. They speak truth to power, and they call others to attend to the voice of God. And of all the, the, the gifts that we see in the New Testament, this is the one that has the most kind of boundaries around it. They're like, okay, like, you know, we're going to test everything you say, and we're going to pray about it, and we're going to make sure that it's good. Because oftentimes, if this is not, um, if it's not a seasoned and mature type of gifting, it, be, it, it can become volatile and divisive. Does that make sense? Because you just, you want to see change. You want to see people moving towards God. It's a prophetic tilt. Some of you have that in you. The third gift is the gift evangelist. And that word evangel, it means good news. These are good news people. And when the apostle wants to get the kingdom out and the prophet wants to get the, the, you know, the people focused up, the evangelist wants to get the message out. And they want to make sure, not only does the message get out, but it's getting out in a way that the people can understand it, that they'll resonate with it, that they'll get a favorable response from the people. It's part of the evangelistic gifting. They care about getting the good news to people. And they're great recruiters. They seek to enlist people into what God is doing. So here's some characteristics. They, they get the message out. They're, they want to get a favorable response. They create an invitational culture. You might be that kind of person. You just, people are just, they just feel so invited around you. 
They often recreate, create branding. Sometimes a graphic artist or a marketer is actually an evangelist in disguise. They, they, they're concerned about the perception of the organization. Some of you, you, you feel that way. If I say something harsh, you're kind of like, oh my gosh, like what if someone doesn't understand what he's saying? And you know, you just get like worried because you have an evangelistic bent in you. Often good motivators, communicators and storytellers, persuasive agents of conversion, good social connectors, typically positive good news people. Some of you have an evangelistic tilt in your gift orientation. The fourth one is the shepherd. And the shepherd is really about caring for people. Shepherds care about people. They care for the flock that's among, among them. They also, they guard against wolves coming in to attack the flock. They're, they're concerned about the health and well-being of the community. They, they nurture spiritual maturity. They engender a loving, healthy community. Often, these are people who have almost like a counseling gift. Like, you, if you have a counseling gift, you might be a shepherd, you want to defend the community against breakdown. And here's some, some characteristics. You create and maintain healthy community. You, you promote the common good. You can see the big picture of, of the whole group, and you're thinking about, you know, if this person does this, it's going to actually threaten this whole group of people. You encourage people in their discipleship. You're very concerned for the welfare of people. You're protective. You're attentive to the state of people. You might be the kind of person that you just read somebody immediately and you know something's wrong here because you have a shepherding bent. You have strong empathic aptitudes, capacity for meaningful relationships, and you desire cohesion and unity. These are people that really want to see the church come together. They want to see the people of God be the people of God. And the last one that he mentions is this. It's the teacher. In the time of Jesus, Jesus was known as the rabbi. Rabbi meant teacher. And these are people that are concerned with wisdom and understanding. They tend to be naturally philosophical types. They have a guiding and discerning function, and they can make complex things. Like, like they, they, they look at the Bible, and you're like, there's so many words. I don't know, right? And then they're like, well, Genesis to Revelation, like, boom. And all of a sudden, you're like, oh, I see it. It's crystal clear. They can take something complex and actually make it very simple for you. It's a teaching gift. I, uh, I see this, I think, a lot of times in, uh, you know, in our kids' ministry, when someone is you know, serving in kids' ministry, and they're like, okay, I don't think the kids are getting that, and they come up with like a little pithy saying or thing or whatever, and it's like, boom, all of a sudden, the kids just got it. It was like a little song or a little saying or something. They were teaching, but they were taking a tool and actually crafting it in the moment to make sure that people understood the message. Beautiful. So here's some characteristics. They cultivate a love of scriptures and others. They bring wisdom and understanding. They develop a Christian worldview. They want to make sure that you're, you're seeing the whole picture of life. They develop resources and tools for learning. They help people gain insights from God. They enjoy talking about theology 
in the things of God. Some of you, you love talking about that stuff. And some of their family members just roll their eyes when you start talking about it. They're like, here we go again. He's talking about the Dead Sea Scrolls again. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Boring, right? But that's you. They seek a systematic understanding. The apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the shepherd, and the teacher. These are Jesus-shaped because of this simple reason. Jesus was all of these things perfectly. Perfectly. Was Jesus apostolic? Oh, yeah. As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. That's the same word, root word for apostle. I'm sending you. Was, Was Jesus prophetic? Did he call people to the rightness of God? Did he walk into a temple one day and start turning over tables because they were doing the wrong thing and they were morally unfaithful to God's house that was supposed to be a place of prayer for all nations? Oh, yeah. He was prophetic. Was Jesus evangelistic? Did you know the gospel was first preached by Jesus? Repent, believe, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That message didn't start with his disciples. It started with Jesus. It was evangelistic. Was Jesus a shepherd? I am the good shepherd. Was Jesus a teacher? Oh, yeah. Rabbi, teacher. And when Jesus was all those things and he left the earth, he never left the earth. He just put the gifts inside of you in me. They're Jesus-shaped gift. And when we are using the gifts that he has given to us, we all start to look a bit more like him. And then things get really exciting in the church. So let me close with this. Um, there's a movie, it's a documentary movie called The Biggest Little Farm. Who's seen it? Anybody seen The Biggest Little Farm? A few of you? Oh, friends. Just thank me right now, okay? You just thank me. You go ahead and thank me, okay? You put a, you put a little extra $20 bill in the offering plate just with my name on, okay? Because I'm about to bless you. Oh, my gosh. You're going to love this. It's a documentary. It's fantastic. By the way, I'm joking about putting a $20 bill in the, okay, just you know. Um, this is a couple. The wife was a farm-to-table chef. The husband was a videographer for the animal planet. So he's Mr. Nature videographer guy. And she has this dream to see food, like really good food from farm to table. She's like, you know, it's all about the ingredients. And if, if they're not grown correctly, then it actually changes the whole process and he obviously loves nature, and they want to build a family, and they have a crazy like dog, and they want to have kids, and they're like, let's move to the country. So they buy a 200-acre farm in California, and here's the thing. They show the video of them buying the farm, and it is dead, dry soil. I mean, nothing's growing anywhere. It is literally like a desolation, okay? 
And the whole place is surrounded by monocultural farms, like miles of strawberries or avocados, all making one thing. And what they found is that when they only were focusing on one thing, the human engineering mind starts to pull things out. Oh, let's get rid of that, let's get rid of this, let's get rid of that, let's focus down on the one thing. And what happened is it took a ton of human engineering to sustain it. Water, uh, when erosion, um, all the hoop houses that we have to build to make sure that the, the sunlight was just right. All this engineering that was required to make it work. And if the human engineering stopped, the whole thing would go could that be a descriptor of the church? Needs a whole lot of engineering just to make it work. Because we focus on pastor or teacher only. And if you have another gift, you have no place here. Sorry, we don't know what to do with you. Because we only have pastors, we only have teachers. And so what they did is they got this crazy horticulturist and this guy, he came onto their farm, and he's like, we're going to turn this thing around. And he began to introduce all the things back in. He said, diversity, diversity, diversity. We don't need one type of tree. We need all the different types of trees. We don't need one type of plant. We need all the types of plants. And he started from the soil. He got a big thing of worms and they would actually take water, pump it into it, and the worm poop would get into the water, and they would spray it onto everything, and all of a sudden, these little microorganisms are now flowing down into the soil. He said, you need animals. Not just one kind of animal, you need all the animals. So they got ducks, and pigs, and cows, and sheep, and all the farm animal stuff. And they begin to just walk them from field to field. They had one spot where snails were overtaking all their trees. And they're like, we don't know what to do with snails. We can't spray poison. We're not going to spray poison. So they said, oh, you know, you know who likes snails? Ducks. So they got their ducks over there. And what they did is every problem they faced, they solved with nature. They put all the pieces back together. It's a beautiful story. It's profound. It's profound. Here's the point. Go watch the movie, okay? It's much better than I'm saying. What if the solutions we need are already provided? What if Jesus, the head, truly is present in his body in the diversity of our gifts? What if the church's highlighting of one or two gifts has actually left us immature and unstable? So here's what I want to call us to. The first thing, God calls us to play as a team. And you're on the team. I've said this before, everyone is in full-time ministry. Some of you may also have a job in the marketplace, okay? If you're a follower of Jesus, you're in full-time ministry because you have a gift from God. And when the prophetic type asks agitating pointed questions, and you're a shepherd and you're like, you're making everyone super uncomfortable. You know what you're gonna need? Humility, gentleness, bearing with one another in love, keeping the bond of the spirit, peace. When the apostolic type wants to change it all again and start something new, 
And you're like, bro, we're not ready for that. You know what you're going to need? Humility, gentleness, unity, bond in the peace. When the shepherd slams on the brakes again and says, no, no, we can't do that. We can't change everything. You know what you're going to need? Humility, gentleness, bond of peace, unity, right? Because the answer is somewhere in between all of us. Does that make sense? We all need to be pulled a little bit by one another in a different direction. We all need to be stretched. And what happens, unfortunately, in the United States of America is that you can just go find another church that's more whatever type you are. But what we need is to be a church where you press in with whatever type you are and you bring it all in. And, and, and it might be a little bit like, oh gosh, I don't know what to do with that. Okay, cool. We'll figure it out together. Because we play as a team. We play as a team. If you step back from the game because others just don't see things the way that you see them, I'm here to challenge you. You can't expect everyone to be the same type as you. Amen? So get back in the game. If the offensive lineman decides that he doesn't want to play today, guess what's going to happen at the big game? The guy that you've never even thought about that doesn't get all the awards and accolades, all of a sudden is going to make Patrick Mahomes look terrible. You're going to think he's the worst quarterback ever. Why? He's getting clobbered because the O-line did not show up today. Does that make sense? Or if Patrick Mahomes is like, I've always wanted to be a wide receiver. I love wide receivers. I think it's the best job in the whole NFL. I want to be a wide receiver. And he's like, coach, I'm going in, but I'm going to a wide receiver. That's going to be a problem. And what's going to happen? Everyone loses. And the same is true in the body of Christ. Second thing he calls us to. God calls you to play your part. That's what he says in verse 16, the proper working of each part, which means I need you and you need me. And not only do I need you, but I need you working properly. Amen? The proper working of each part. And if you're not working in the body because you're busy, you're tired, you're weary, you don't think you know enough, you haven't been a Christian long enough, or you'd just rather sit on the couch. I'm here to challenge you. You need to be properly working. Because at the end of the day, the coolest thing is when the shepherd gets to shepherd, this little tuning fork goes off in their hearts. That's like, I was made for this. And they were so tired before the meeting, but now they're re-energized. Re Why? Because they got to do what they were called to do, made to do. And it's the same is true for the prophet and the evangelist and the teacher and the apostle. You win and we win. Amen? So how do we become people who are no longer immature and unstable, we build the body together. Let's be a church like that. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Renaissance Church Sermon Podcast. To support our work, you can like, share, subscribe, or you can donate at rin-church.org.